Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. Before I get started in the episode today and discussing the topic and the reading for today, I want to make a brief mention. I have, over the last several days, had an assistant that has helped me tremendously with the editing process as I have had some unforeseen circumstances arise and I have needed some additional help. And so I just want to thank that person right now publicly for his help in the production and editing of these products for you. We're doing the best we can uh, sound-wise and other things. And, and we realize that we do not have a professional studio, but we are doing the best we can to get those to you. This person is a member of my board, and he has his own ministry. So I know that this has put him out to some degree to do this work for me over the last several days. And I just want to publicly acknowledge that and offer thanks the Bible says for us to give credit where credit is due, and he is certainly worthy of this credit right now for stepping in and seeing me through this. So I trust that that now I'll be able to uh, get back up and running again without any problems, but I would like to thank him. His name is Reverend Brian Campbell. He has his own YouTube channel of ministry. So you can find videos that he has posted there, teachings on the Bible. He is currently, I believe, going through some various teachings. One of those is a Romans study. So I certainly encourage you. I will include the link to his YouTube channel in the comments in the description box. So if you would like to check him out, you certainly are welcome to do so. And I'm sure he would appreciate that. But I thank you, Brian, very, very much for all of your help over this last week. And I know that it's been tight with your schedule, but I thank you for enduring and for giving that guidance and that help that I desperately needed. So God bless you for that. Now, to the topic for today, I'd like for us to read. We are in the book of Revelation, and we are going to be again in Revelation chapter 12, and I want to begin the reading in verse 1 of chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, we've looked at that in the last few episodes, but I want to continue the reading. Verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 
1,260 days. So now we're given a little more information about what happens. And notice this is after she's born the male child and after that child has been caught up to God and to God's throne in heaven. So this will occur after that. Now, there is quite a bit of a gap of time after those that event, Jesus' ascension, before this happens. And this has not happened yet, but Revelation is tying up the story for us, is tying up all the loose ends and bringing to pass all of these prophetic words. So, Jesus ascended, was caught up to heaven, and now this woman is still needing, because she's in danger, Satan hates her, Satan wants to destroy her, so she's in danger, and now we find out that she's going to make a trip, she's going to make a, an escape. God has provided a way. So first of all, let's talk about this. We remember from the previous episode, the woman is Israel. Now, the the woman that bore the male child, the, the actual individual who did, is Mary, who was a Jew from the nation of Israel. But the woman represents Israel. The child clearly is Jesus, the Messiah, and the dragon is identified for us clearly as well as being the devil, Satan. So we don't have to wonder about who these people are, who these characters are. The scripture plainly tells us who they are. And we covered that in the last episode. Now you have where we left off in the previous episode with Jesus being caught up to heaven in the ascension. Now we jump way forward into the future at this point. Now I want to just bring this point out for your consideration, and you can research it further if you like. But possibly some have said in verse 4, where it talks about the child being caught up to heaven, that that is, in fact, Jesus' ascension. Yes, it is. That's a part of it. But some have said that it may also reference the rapture of the church because Jesus is the head, but the church is his body. So some have made that connection and suggested that this may include both Jesus' ascension 2,000 years ago and the coming rapture of the church, which is prior to this time in the tribulation. And we believe as we have shown you in previous episodes, that that rapture is prior to the beginning of the tribulation, where this event is happening in the middle of the tribulation, this event that we're talking about today. Notice also that this happens in the middle of the tribulation, which is what we've discussed in some previous episodes about the two witnesses and how they will be resurrected and caught up to heaven answering the call to come up here. Possibly with them may go the 144,000 and possibly saints that were saved prior to this midpoint in the tribulation. We don't know that, 
we do know that the two witnesses will go up at this point. So now in verse 6, we're at the midpoint of the tribulation. We are told that in the text here and in Daniel and by Jesus himself. Verse 6 turns a corner from verses 1 through 4 and jumps to the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, how do we know that? Well, for one thing, we know that because the text here tells us. It tells us that the woman, Israel, the Jewish people, will flee, they will run away, escape, and take flight to seek safety in the wilderness. Notice this. It is a specific place that God has already prepared ahead of time for her. It's going to be a place of safety and protection, and it's going to be a place of provision. God has already ensured that she will be fed there and provided for by others. Notice in the text, she's going to be fleeing, but they will feed her, meaning others. Now, we don't know exactly who those are, but the scriptures might give us a little bit of a clue. She's going to be fed there and provided for there and find this safety in this wilderness place, this special provision that God has for her for 1260 days. In other words, for three and a half years. It is not at the beginning because at the beginning of the tribulation is when you have the two witnesses and the 144,000 that are ministering during those that first three and a half years, that first 1260 days. We're told that in earlier chapters that we've already studied. This represents the middle point, and she is now going to be fed and provided for in the wilderness for the last half of the tribulation, for the final three and a half years and it will carry her all the way up to the return of Jesus at his second coming. Now, why does she need to flee to the wilderness? Because there is extreme danger ahead for her, and we will cover that in the next couple of episodes. But the text itself tells us why. She will now be in extreme danger And Jesus also warned about this in his prophetic word. So we're told she's going to the wilderness. It's some place in the desert, some uncultivated region, some lonely or desolate place for her. But it is a specific location that God has already appointed and prepared at this time in this book. The specific location, we're not absolutely certain of, although many believe it is the modern-day city of Petra, and you can find lots of people that, that express that and their reasons for doing that and images of that, pictures, etc. Biblically, however, there are places that give us a name of the place as being Basra. Now, Basra and and Petra may refer to the exact same place. I do not know. But biblically, let's look at a few places that tell us 
that this place is called Basra biblically. First of all, let's go to Isaiah chapter 63. In Isaiah chapter 63, I'd like to read verses 1 through 8. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's who it is, by the way. Why is your apparel red? and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? The answer, verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their Savior. So this is talking about Jesus at his second coming. It's giving us a few more details about the ministry he will do with his people at that time in bringing them so that all Israel then will be saved at that moment. This tells us that he's coming from Edom and specifically from Basra, this city that the Bible calls Basra. Then in Isaiah chapter 34, I want to read verses 4 through 6. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven, indeed it shall come down on Edom, and on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys and rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. So here again, it confirms for us that this place biblically is going to be known as Basra in the land of Edom. In Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 22, we read these words. Behold, he shall come up and fly like the eagle and spread his wings over Basra. The heart of the mighty man of Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pains. This is speaking of that day when Jesus will come to Basra in the land of Edom because that's where his people are. In the book of Micah, I'll direct you to Micah chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, and Micah chapter 5, verse 2 through 5, 
which also gives some indications also about Basra in this land of Edom. So this is in the Old Testament land of Edom, and it is biblically called Basra. It may be Petra today. It may be the same place. But notice what triggers this need for them to go to the wilderness. What triggers this flight to the wilderness? Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. This is also found in Mark chapter 13, verse 14 through 23, and in Luke chapter 21, verse 20 through 24. You'll find some concurring details about this as well from the other gospel writers. But let's read Matthew 24, verse 15 through 24. Matthew 24, verse 15 says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been. Since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So Jesus warns about this, and it's recorded in Luke, in Mark, and here in Matthew. It is this event that the Bible calls the abomination of desolation. Let's look at what that is. First of all, we want to go to the book of Daniel. We're going to read several places from Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 is the first one. Jesus himself referred to this event, and he referred to it being recorded by Daniel the prophet. We know Daniel is a prophet of God because Jesus himself affirmed it, and he affirmed it in these three places in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it says this, then he, meaning the Antichrist, the prince of this power that is to come, that was the, from the Roman Empire. Verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, one period of seven. This is the seven-year tribulation being spoken of here. But in the middle of the week, in other words, in that midpoint of the tribulation, the middle of those seven years, three and a half years at that point, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. 
This is what Jesus referred to, this verse right here, along with a few other places where Daniel also confirms this. Next, we want to look at Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 11, Daniel is given some prophetic words about the southern king and the northern king and so forth. And he says this in verse 29. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and shall regard for those who forsake the holy covenant and forces shall be mustered by him and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. So Daniel here is speaking again of this abomination of desolation and telling us a little bit more details about exactly when and how it's going to happen. Lastly, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, it says this, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Now, the reason you have three different numbering of days here is the rest of the tribulation, that last three and a half is the 1,260 days. But these other two numbers account for some things that will happen right after the tribulation ends at the coming of the Lord. So that's why there are these three different numbers of days here. But the point is that he is saying that their time, the daily sacrifice is taken away, is when the abomination of desolation is set up. And that is at the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, I want to read also in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. Because Ezekiel tells us a little bit about something that is set up that causes the Lord's anger and fury to be aroused. Let's look at that. Ezekiel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, and on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked. And there was a likeness like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist and downward fire and from his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair and the spirit lifted me up between the earth, between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the north gate of the inner court where the seat of 
of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain, referring back to Ezekiel chapter 1. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there north of the altar gate was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn again you will see greater abominations. So Ezekiel is taken also and shown this image that is placed there in the temple. It tells us where in the temple this seat of this image will be that provokes to jealousy. I believe this is a confirming scripture about this abomination of desolation that will bring the Lord's fury that will be established in the temple, and that will be at this midpoint of the tribulation. And that is the trigger for the Jews then to flee to the wilderness. Apparently, this abomination of desolation is some image that will be put in the temple. And we will read more about that happening when we get to Revelation chapter 13. It is an abomination that desolates the temple and possibly the land and the people. It is an abominable image that provokes the Lord's jealousy. We need to understand something about the Lord. This is his house. We saw in the life of Jesus, and I'm not going to read these passages, but I am going to refer to them. In John chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, early in his ministry, and then toward the end of his ministry in his final week in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, we read about Jesus making a cord of a whip and he went in because he saw the money changers there and all the evils that they were doing to oppress the people, to overcharge, to use unjust weights and balances, etc. And he went in because he is Elkanah. He is Elkanah, the jealous God. And God's jealousy was provoked because it's his house. And Jesus even quotes from Jeremiah chapter 7, I believe it's verse 11, when he answers them and when he does this act and the reason he is doing that is because he is Elkanah. That is God's house. It is God's holy temple. And it is not to be made desolate by these abominations that were being done in it. I have a message about that that will give you further information if you'd like to look it up. It's called the zeal of Jesus. The zeal of Jesus. And you can certainly look that up if you like to understand that more. But this image, whatever it will be, is going to be set up. It is going to be abominable and it is going to provoke the Lord's wrath and jealousy. And the Jews must then flee to the wilderness. Now, I'd like to begin to close us out by understanding this point. The purpose 
of this wilderness flight. This is what's so beautiful. There are certain nations that are called upon to provide for the Jewish remnant that will be fleeing to the wilderness. We are told about one possibly in Isaiah chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I won't read it at this time for the sake of time, but it is in the Moab area, in the Moab people, possibly in this modern-day Jordan area, which may coincide with the land of Edom and the the place that the Bible calls this Basra. But there are going to be nations that are called upon to feed them and to care for them. I encourage you to look up Isaiah chapter 16 and read verses 1 through 4. This is the Lord speaking to them about taking care of his people, this Jewish remnant that's going to flee for help. But the purpose of their wilderness flight is to draw them back to God. It's to draw them home. It's to bring them to that place that was prophetically spoken of where they will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I want to close us out by reading a few passages. I will reference a few for the sake of time, but I want to read a few. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through 14 says this, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the morning at Hadad Ramin, Ramon in the plain of Megiddo and the land shall mourn. Every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their families and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shammai by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. There's coming a day when the Jews will look upon him whom they have pierced, and call upon him, and be saved, and mourn in repentance. Praise be to God. Hosea spoke about this day in Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. This is a prophetic word of that day when the Jews will be saved at the Lord's return. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 through 39, I won't read that. We've read it in several other episodes from time to time, but it does speak to us. It's Jesus' words himself. He talked about how he longed to draw them unto himself like a a chicken, like a hen would, would brood her chicks, and they would not, for they were not willing. And he says, you're not gonna see my face again. Until you say to me, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Praise be to God. Romans 11, verse 25 through 27, Paul writes about this day as well. 
And he says that the Jews will be saved. Israel is coming to know the Messiah. I find it interesting, and I just mentioned this to you, Psalm chapter 79 is a possible prayer of repentance that seems to me to be appropriate for that flight to the wilderness. This may be part of what they will say and repent in this prayer. How does it happen? Hosea chapter 2. I want to read in verses 1 through 3. It says, Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Bring charges against your mother, bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry, for their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. So this is the Lord prophetically through Hosea and what Hosea is experiencing, also showing the problems with his own wife, his own people, the Jewish people. But go down to verse 14. Actually, let's begin the reading in verse 13. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, says the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth. This is beautiful because what God's plan is and the purpose for the flight to the wilderness is so that the Jewish people will be allured and wooed back to God, back to the God of their covenant the God who made covenant with Abraham, their father. God is going to woo the Jews back to him in this place in the wilderness. He said right there in Hosea, the purpose, he's going to allure them in the wilderness. He's going to draw them and bring them to himself, just like he did with the nation of Israel when he redeemed them and brought them out of Egypt. And I encourage you to look that up in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. God says that he's going to bring them to himself. And he did that with the nation of Israel in the first place in the wilderness when he brought them out of Egypt. And now when they have to fly to the wilderness, God has a beautiful purpose for it. It's to woo them back to him. God is going to allure them back to him in this special place. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.